Content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. WTF you're talking about, the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. I'm Decker. And we're here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? So, here's how this works. We've got six categories, and the next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. So the categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science and technology, entertainment, and current events. We use an eight-sided die, so if you roll a one, you're going to roll a six-sided die for those same six categories, except it has to be local, so Idaho or any state bordering Idaho. And then if you roll an eight, that's a wild, and you get to pick whatever the fuck you want. Woo! <laughs> and you roll those all the goddamn time. Yep, I, I do, and then it sucks because it makes me have to think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like when it tells me where to go, unless there's something I really want to talk about. But normally when there's something I really want to talk about, like I've been waiting for, I don't get it for a while. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I know, I know. So, Sorry. full disclosure, we are recording this from the future past. The future past! Oh. So, we record these decently in advance, so just to make sure that we can have everything ready and everything, because we've got full-time jobs and life and shit. Yes. And this one, I know we had like weird technical things happen on the, f- the previous episode where yes. half of it disappeared. Well, when we were recording this one, the computer would stop recording every like 12 minutes. On the dot. And this went on for the entire time. And we troublesh- troubleshot? Troubleshooted? Yeah. We tried a lot of different things and nothing fucking worked. So we recorded for like four hours to get every like just anything that we could mm-hmm. and so then we went to look at it and funny story half of it was gone <sighs> just just gone gone not sure why <laughs> but it was um good news is this should not be happening in the future because i've given that computer the boot and i finally have my a new computer that i've been saving up money for for ages now so this beauty here is going to do well. But it's very likely that you'll hear us talk about computer problems in the next couple episodes. Because yep. those are from the past. That's from that shit computer I'm in a boot in the ocean. <laughs> so, <sighs> just learn from my mistakes. Don't buy a pre-built PC for Best Buy. I'm just going to say it right <laughs> now. Don't do it because they gave me a computer that basically wasn't compatible. So, that's why we kept having problems. Even though it took years for it to actually register. So... Now I have... And boy, when it went downhill, it went down fast. Oh, it went downhill horrible. Like, every episode after it, it I think went it was down like, hard, yeah. Ever, it ever was... since our 15th one, I think, that we had recorded, like, in a, yeah. in a row, not like yeah. our 15th release. So, um, again, thank you guys for being so patient with us and still sticking around. The um, Now that I have this new computer, I'm. We, sh- we won't have any issues in the future, because this thing Don't is... say that. You're going to jinx the fuck out no, of No, we won't. I worked too hard on this goddamn thing. I have spent... This computer took, like, a month to build. And, like, I don't need a month, like, to pick out the parts. I mean, I bought the parts. It took a month for me to get up and running, because I kept having issues with some of the parts. <laughs> but now, she is a beauty. Everything works phenomenally, and 
I have mad love for her. <laughs> so she but, has flashing lights and shit. But um, which you can, you, I like to believe you can hear them. <laughs> you can't see them, but uh, um. But that's just a heads up. You are totally living in a time continuum, and that's why things might yeah, not make sense. We're here to rewrite the past. Yeah. So, um. Anyway, yeah. so Decker, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, you know, everyone asks me this every day. And that's how I get lost in my own head. So, but, uh, what I'm talking about in this episode is, well, I rolled, uh, true crime last time Mm -hmm. and from my knowledge of the past and (laughs) (laughs) what we have left of it. Right. And what I'm going to talk about is, uh, I was looking for, uh, some sort of crime that was like good or like it had like maybe like good intentions. I mean, I'm going to foul, but I want something that maybe was a little bit more uplifting, not necessarily something negative or like, uh, you know, like slasher esque, which I mean, those are still fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. But, um, so what I'm talking about today, well, Mac is freaking shotgunning up and down the stairs. That was Jax. Oh, was it? Well, actually, the sound may have been Mac. But it was Jax that was running? It, well, he ran by and she punched him and oh. then she ran away. Fair. You probably deserved it. <laughs> um, but I'm going to talk about um, a guy that's pretty much a modern day Robin Hood, if you will. And his name is Eddie Sandifer. So Eddie Sandifer was a um, civil rights activist for pretty much his whole life. He advocated strongly for gay rights and also for equal rights uh, when it came to race as well. He uh, donated money to like the NAACP and whenever there was any kind of issues with minority groups, him and his gay right activists would try to step up and mm-hmm. try to basically them all band together because in a sense, because um, he, w- he lived around the era when like it was not so cool to be gay. And which, wh- when, when is this? Um, this is, do, 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 do. that was a great question. I know it was, I think it was from the 60s and 70s. That's where it was. Yes. Um, he mainly was doing a lot of stuff, uh, around the 60s was when he was doing a lot of, uh, a lot of his outreach because, um, one of the things I remember is prior to doing a lot of this outreach, he was drafted for the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So, um, but before I get too far ahead of myself, let me go ahead and give you some background about Eddie Sandifer. So Eddie Sandifer... He was um, raised in a church with his father as a pastor. And his father was very much a fire and brimstone kind of pastor. He would blast gays. And this is kind of like the quote from the article I'm looking at, which I believe I got from USA Today, is one of the many different resources I pulled from this. Um, But he apparently would blast and like talk, um, you know, poorly about the gay community in his sermons, but he never talked poorly or ill of his son. And he knew that his son was gay. Yay, organized religion. Right. I, I, I often wonder how how someone can be for their son, but then against the thing their son is a part of. Right? Like, and uh, regardless of, like, if you think it's choice or not, which it's not. Um, if, like, if I had a gay or lesbian or like you know queer bisexual any anything like that at all um i would just be supportive of them outright because they're my child my Mm -hmm. job is to support them and protect them (laughs) and uh but i guess for him he would do his job and Mm -hmm. air air 
air quotes. <laughs> um, and uh, but he never talked poorly of his son. Now, as he was growing up, he ended up getting drafted by the. Uh, oh, sorry, I said Vietnam. That was incorrect. Uh, for the Korean War, that was the war he was getting drafted for. You mean um, the police action? Right. <laughs> and um, but because he was very open about being gay, it kept him from being drafted. Hmm. Right. So even if he wanted to serve his country, he wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he was growing up and doing outreach, he would. Um, he really cared about individuals. So in 1955, um, and this is in a uh, rural town near Louisiana, uh, or uh, Louisiana town near where like Arkansas and Texas kind of touch, so right around that border. Ex-Arcana? Right. <laughs> um, you should know more about where I live. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't live in Texas or Arkansas. They don't know that. Yes, they do! <laughs> Neither of those places are local to Idaho! <laughs> you know, if you look at it the right way, if you fold the map... and the, the Into earth, a swan. The earth is flat. It's oh, flat. God. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, haven't you ever seen a map? Uh... But he eventually became, in 1955, he became one of the first licensed nursing home administrators in Mississippi. Hmm. Right, so you can kind of tell, um, considering like some of the stuff I mentioned earlier, that he very much cared for individuals that were, that had either less rights or mm-hmm. that couldn't take care of themselves. Right? So, now with that being said, he, in 1958, ended up traveling to a convention in New York for the uh, Mattachine Society. And that was a society that was promoting gay rights. Mm-hmm. Um, this was founded in 1950, and basically it was a rally to help homosexuals like get um, basically more outreach, make people more informed, and become more accepted. And with that, he... No, no, you stay awake, computer. Yes, 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 I see you. I don't know why that other half of the screen is still sleepy. Good. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's I wish gonna... you guys could have seen the face he was just making. It was kind of terrifying. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I mean, when you have two ports reaching out to the same display, it, one, one of them always takes over, and then the other one will render after a couple of seconds. You say that, but your face said, uh, put the lotion on the skin. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, where was I? Yes, so, um, in 1958, he traveled to New York to help promote gay rights. Now, while he was at this hotel, and he was having, um, there was some, uh, they were trying to have some African Americans join the convention, but they weren't being allowed in. So, that society threatened to picket, with, like, with all uh, of their, um, you know, white individuals such as ourselves mm-hmm. um and the hotel ended up changing its stance so even though they were gay it seemed that because i don't know i'm not sure what necessarily the reason was before, behind that but they probably don't, also don't want to have a scandal or they want yeah. that publicity to keep people away from going to their hotel so they just accepted it but he ended up donating some money to NAACP while he was there and helped organize some more like grassroots civil rights uh, organizations he helped try to fund those and get some things up and running uh, including trying to help out the United Farm Workers and uh, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. The what? 
The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I don't know anything about them. I just know that there's something that can try to help out. That kind of implies that there's like a student violent coordinating committee. I, I have a feeling it had to do with like like, protests. I would like against to, like the wars. I would like to to see this violent committee. You know, like um, what's the what was the word they always said? Like with like uh, Vietnam or like like you'd go to war but you wouldn't fight anyone. Um, a conscientious objector. There we go. Conscientious objector. That's right. Thank you. Um, but during this time, so while he was trying to help get these grassroots up and going, he wasn't making a lot of money as a uh, nursing home administrator. Not a lot of money there. Right. So he was trying to figure out ways to come up with that, and what he ended up deciding to do was he decided, uh, after looking at, passing by a jewelry store, he noticed how many items were left in the display case, and he realized, huh, I guess I could rob a store. <laughs> Or a jewelry store. The logical next step. Right. So instead of uh, trying to like get more money or like get donations and stuff, he decided to start robbing these jewelry stores. Now, in total, he ended up robbing six that he admitted to, but he did not state where. He, uh, I believe he said that um, it's somewhere between Memphis and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave quite a wide range. But um, after the... Uh, the sixth one, he ended up robbing... Uh, so the last store he uh, burglarized was in 1964. He made sure he was very clever, too. He calculated how fast the cops could get to that jewelry store, how fast the reaction time was. He calculated um, every possible route to that jewelry store and out in case there was any roadblocks or anything like that. And for this particular heist, he scheduled this heist on the same day as there was going to be a train going by the train tracks... That he could do his heist at night and get past without the cops being able to go through it. So this is a guy that's, that's very clever, very yeah. meticulous. I would say like, um, oh, that's cute. Aggressive oh, bathing. Aggressive bathing. I'm sure they're going to fight each other after he's done. Um, fight, fight, fight. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> so he ended up, uh, when he did break in, he had a timer where he could take like two minutes. Because he knew in about two minutes... That's when the cops would be on him. So that's all the time he had to get everything he needed and then get out. And he had someone else there with him to go. He had a black uh, car that was, like, you know, nondescript so that way it wouldn't stick out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when he went to go off, they barely made it across the train tracks before the train came by. Oh, yikes. So they cut it, like, so close to where, like, by the time he was passing by was when the train was there. So that way the cops couldn't go through. So I'm like, this guy, in a sense, he's, you know... You gotta give it to him. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, I mean, like, it's not cool to rob people, but the fact that someone took that much time to yeah. very much think out how they were gonna do this, I, I gotta give props to mm -hmm. someone that's being that clever in a nonviolent way. Um, but he ended up getting caught when he tried to sell this last set of jewels that he had stolen, and he only served 16 months in prison because they only got him on the one charge, mm -hmm. and he got just in time to help take care of his dad. Now, with that being said, after he had gotten caught, he realized that life of crime really wasn't for him anymore, so he decided to try to do it the best way he could, which was giving all the money he possibly had off his back, and lived on the poverty line pretty much till uh, he died, which I believe I saw was 2016, I think was when he passed. Um, That's fairly recent. Yeah, so he... He lived for quite some time. I think he was 88 when he passed. I'm trying to see if I can find that 
here. Um, but yeah, he was he was unknown as this guy, uh, like this vigilante for mm-hmm. fifty years. Oh, that's like, awesome. So even though he got charged, like it like went so under the radar uh-huh. that it took a news station, uh, news uh, place, eventually found out that he was this guy and decided to do a news story, which I think was um, the two. What was the uh, law enforcement? I know it was had a very interesting name. The the Clarion Ledger. The Clarion Ledger is the one that helped discover mm-hmm. this individual. Um, I think that's I think it's in that article is where it mentions like Larry Dyer. But um, he he didn't have that great like crazy of a house. I mean, here's his house right here. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's just a nice small uh, house. yeah. I think when he was taking care of patients inside that house, he had about sixteen beds and he helped out AIDS patients as well. Mm-hmm. So people that were dying and you know people were very scared of him because they weren't you know. That illness was supposed to be like very infectious, and those people didn't understand anything. About yeah, it. and so, but he took the time while they were sick to still help out those mm-hmm. patients and individuals, and I believe he did eventually end up contracting it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, outside of reminds me of uh, shit. What's his name? Father. Father. Which father are we talking about here? Fictional or non-fictional? Non-fictional. Non-fictional. That's right, get him. Bite, bite his tail. Win the face. I can tell you. <laughs> CJ's just putting his... Father little... Damien. Father Damien. Uh, Father Damien... Leprosy. Right. Yes. So, in a sense, he was kind of like a martyr. Um... Punch him in the face, asshole! Take that. And that. And especially that. <laughs> well... Bye guys. Bye. Um, Dex has filed herself away. Right. Uh, now here's oh. what's really interesting. This was something I found out. I was so I was trying to look up. I was trying to look up the original. Yeah, he did die in 2016. Cause I, I remember now. So he died in 2016 because a year later, right? And I think it was. I can't recall if it was around the time of his death or um, near the anniversary of when he had robbed these banks. There was. A robbery in the exact same town as that sixth robbery. <laughs> With people that were wearing old man masks. That's funny. So, like, I thought, I mean, I think it's purely coincidental, but it may not be. It may have been, like, an homage uh-huh. to, to the guy that stole money uh, or stole jewelry to help raise money to mm-hmm. help support these good causes. So, even though he Robin was doing... Hood. Right. Even though he was doing bad things, you know, because he was taking away from other people. Um, a lot of people, it looks like maybe someone had taken inspiration from them. Yeah. Or, I guess, like, they said these were Hollywood grade masks. I guess they looked very, very realistic in person. I get, like, a, uh, bad grandpa vibe from it, that one. Uh, makes me think of, I think it's the opening scene of Dark Knight. That yes. opens with the, the heist with, with the clowns. Yes. Um, now, as far as I know, they never got caught. Mm-hmm. I tried to find an article that showed like if they got caught or anything, but they didn't. So in a sense, even though he's dead, like maybe that was like his last mm-hmm. little getaway, Hurrah. right? Um, but yeah, that's uh, Eddie Sandifer. Oh, so I think he's a pretty cool dude. Not great to steal from people, but in the end, I mean, he lived in poverty for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. just trying to help people afterwards. So I think there is a redemption story there. That's definitely yeah. Good. I mean, I can get behind the whole, you know, take from the rich, give it to the poor, blah, blah, blah. 
Sounds great in theory. Right, but, but that's not the rich. That's just a business. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I, I don't... I don't know if, like, big chain jewelry stores were really a thing, or if, like, insurance for jewelry stores at that time, like, how prevalent was that? So, like, if this was just, like, a mom-and-pop jewelry store, jewelry store, yes, go to... Jewelry store! Pick it up the beach. Those are seashells! That's, like, the fancier version of the Jersey Shore. Yeah, jewelry store. <laughs> I mean, if it's just, like, a mom-and-pop store, Welcome that's to the situation! I, I was listening to, uh, an episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me. And somebody, they were talking about that, and someone said, you know what I want my name to be? Just a situation. A situation? <laughs> just, you know, any any possible situation. A group of situations. S- situations? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. It's late. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Alright, well, now that I'm all done with my super fun tidbit, Katie, yes. what the fuck are you going to talk about? I know last episode, I got a little ragey. And, yes. Uh, rightfully so. Get your fucking vaccines. Do it. Always. So I thought I would start doing a little interlude. Um, basically at my discretion of when I feel it should happen. And I'm going to tell you about things that people stick in their bodies that maybe shouldn't be there. Mm. So this is, this is our first butt plug. What? <laughs> so. Uh, I grabbed a lot of these from Reddit. There's there's a lot of people that like to stick stuff up their butts that well, duh. don't go there. That's what Freud told me. Anal fixation. Nope. Oh, Freud. Oh, uh, Freud. Freud. Uh, I, one, one year for my birthday, my friend gave me this little thing of like post-it notes, except mm-hmm. they were all like Freud-themed. They were called Freudian slips. Ha! That's cool! And the, like, container that they came in it says, When you say one thing, but mean your mother. Mm. It's my favorite. They're great. Mm. Freudian slips. So. This is from Reddit user Dojahi. Not a doctor, but we did have a guy many years ago with a butternut squash lodged in his rectum. No excuses. His fetish was well known, as he was a frequent flyer. Hmm. You just made some weird sounds. Mm. <laughs> like my body did? Yes. Oh. Huh. I mean, I hope it was your body, otherwise we may be experiencing an alien visitation. Ooh. That's exciting. <laughs> Hero Shit Inc. said, It's all it's always I've never done anything like this before, or I met a girl last night who talked me into it. Like, no, dude. You don't just go from never doing it before straight to peeled mango followed by a 12-inch dong folded in half. You just don't go from zero to mango. <laughs> That's not what fruit's for. Chuggerbong said, So my mother's a radiographer. She once x-rayed a guy who had an entire unbroken light bulb up his ass. His excuse was that he was putting cream on his hemorrhoids when his dog ran into his legs and he fell backwards onto a lamp. It was taped to a stick, and when they removed it, it had a condom over it. So, Duh. I, uh, I don't... Don't you put condoms on your lamps? That are taped to sticks? I sure don't. Oh, shit. Have, I, have I been doing it wrong? I, I guess. Uh, I couldn't quit Reddit, said... 
My personal favorite was a dude who clearly had a golf ball up there after I checked on uh, PR exam. Oh, yes, PR exam. Yes, my finger was up his butt. Me. So you've got a golf ball up there. Him. Yeah, but that'll come out easy. It's the cue ball in there I need you to get out for me. The cue ball. Yep. Why a cue ball? I don't know. That's that's sizable. Why a butternut squash? Even. I mean, ugh. There's a reason they make toys specifically for this. Because yeah. they are designed to enter and then also exit safely as yeah. they are supposed and to. And feel good. Without needing to go to the ER. Hmm. Balls. Balls. What? That was like, like a like negative. It was like a criminal. Oh, I was like, why? Why, why have or, we just said balls? It's, oh, there was a new word today, even from the future. Uh, uh, uh. It was, huh? What? That one. Yep. Yes, you just said it. <laughs> Colosemia. But yeah. Well, that, that's all for the butt plugs. Oh, okay. That's that's the oh, butt plug. Good. Don't butt plug! So, we're going to move on to my actual bit. Uh, we actually have our first listener request. Mm. So, my cousin Scott. Hey, uh, Scott! He tweeted us a while ago about this thing called Operation Paul Bunyan. And so I looked into it, and this is fucking bananas. Like <laughs> How bananas? Bananas. B a n a n a s. The shit is bananas. Oh shit. Um, have have you ever, like, someone has done something that is, I don't even know how to phrase this. So someone's like done something that's like not great to you, whatever. And do you ever just like, way overreact? So let's say that they yeah, like it was like something simple, and you're just like whoa, and you, like freak out. But, but like, let's say that like their transgression was probably like. An eight out of ten, and you're like, "Welp, gotta hit 50. Hmm. No, I don't think I've ever hit that level before. Well, this is sort of like that, except the original transgression is pretty bad. So, Operation Paul Bunyan has to do with the Korean axe murder incident. Eh? And so, the Korean axe murder incident was the killing of two U.S. Army officers in the Korean demilitarized zone on August 18th, 1976, specifically in the Joint Security Area. Mm-hmm. So, the casualties of this incident uh, on the U.S. side, there was two Army officers, and on the North Korean side, there was one poplar tree. A tree? A tree. A, A poplar tree. tree. It was not popular. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm funny. <laughs> August 18th, 1976, five Korean Service Corps, or the KSC, the personnel entered the Joint Security Area, ex- escorted by U.S. Army Captain Arthur Boniface, uh, Republic of Korea Captain Kim, and let's see, Area Platoon Leader... First Lieutenant Mark Barrett, and 11 American and South Korean enlisted personnel. Mm -hmm. So they were going to an area that was near the Bridge of No Return, and that crossed from South Korea to North Korea. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Done. (laughs) I 
I thought I had more information about that. Nope, that's just <laughs> the bridge. It crosses from South Korea to North Korea. Perfect. In the demilitarized zone. Uh, so they were headed to a poplar tree that was blocking the line of sight between a UN command checkpoint and an observation post. So this, I mean, this was a hundred foot tree. So it's a large tree and they could not see past it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the line of sight was only clear in the winter, um, you know, because... Tree's dead. Y- yes. Well, I mean, not, I mean, it's alive. not dead, but... It's lost its beautiful uh, so hair. The, yeah, the line of sight's only clear in the winter, but then in the summer months, you could only see the very top of the checkpoint. Okay. Which is not super great for surveillance and security. So, uh, on one occasion, North Korean soldiers had held a group of U.S. troops at gunpoint. Uh, Captain Boniface was sent to force the North Koreans to stand down and bring the Americans back to safety. He was successful, but then later on, he was one of the casualties in the axe murder incident. Mm. August 18th, 1976... They crossed into the JSA, that's the Joint Security Area, uh, to trim the tree so that they could see. The two captains did not wear any sidearms as members of the JSA were limited to only five armed officers and 30 enlisted personnel at a time. Uh, But there was a truck that had Maddox, uh, which is a hand tool similar to a pickaxe. And the, the workers also had axes to trim the tree. You know, appropriate tree trimming materials. Right. So after they started trimming, about 15 North Korean soldiers appeared. They were commanded by Senior Lieutenant Pat Pull, who was nicknamed Lieutenant Bulldog uh, due to a history of confrontations that they'd had with him. So they showed up to observe the trimming. Uh, Basically, just like without concern, for like 15 minutes, they just watched them trim this tree. And then they abruptly told the UNC crew to stop stating that the tree could not be trimmed as it was planted by Kim Il-sung and nourished and grown under his supervision. Uh, That's a lot of care for a tree in a demilitarized zone. I mean, I don't know. To me, it's super weird that they watched them do this for 15 minutes and they were like, oh wait, no, you shouldn't do that. Right. 15 minutes, you watched them, you knew exactly what they were doing. If you had an issue with it, you should have said something before that. So Captain Boniface, uh, Boniface turned around, uh, turned his back on Lieutenant Pat Cole, and ordered the crew to continue. So just ignored him. After being ignored by Boniface, Pack sent a runner across the bridge, and so that's the bridge of no return, and within minutes, 20 more North Korean guards arrived carrying crowbars and clubs. Uh, Pack again demanded that the tree trimming stop, and Boniface again turned his back and ignored him. Uh, Pack removed his Don't watch. Turn your back to your enemy. <laughs> well, but fine. see, they're in the demilitarized zone. It's supposed to be cool here. Right. But still. So Pack removes his watch, wraps it in a handkerchief, places it in his pocket, and shouts, "Kill the bastards! They're trimming a fucking tree. You need to calm your shit." Yeah, it's a tree. Yeah. So using axes dropped by the tree trimmers. The North Korean forces attacked, wounding all but one of the UN sea guards. Boniface was knocked to the ground by Pack and then bludgeoned to death by at least five North Koreans. Barrett jumped over a low wall that led past a 15-foot depression filled with trees across the road from the poplar tree. So I think at this point, it seems like they just, like, they scattered trying to get away because mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily heavily armed. 
so the de- uh, the depression that was did I say that? No, I didn't. The depression was not visible from the road due to dense grass and small trees, and that's where um, Barrett hid after he jumped over the wall. Right. The whole fight lasted about twenty to thirty seconds before the UNC force managed to disperse the North Koreans. Um, and they placed Boniface's body in their truck, but at this point there was still no sign of Barrett. The UNC force observed the North Korean guards acting strangely. So one guard would take an axe and then go down into the depression and then be gone for a while. And then a couple minutes later, he'd come back up and he would hand the axe to another guard who would do the same things. We'd go down to the depression where nobody could see because it's not visible from the road and then come back up and give the axe to another guard. And this went on for about 90 minutes before the UNC guards at the observation post were informed that Barrett was missing. So at this point, they're like, oh, they're acting weird, and we now know a guy is missing. Let's maybe check that out. Mm -hmm. So search and rescue was quickly dispatched to the Depression, where Barrett was found alive, having been attacked by Axe by the North Koreans. So for 90 minutes, they were going down there, beating him with an axe, and going back up and then giving the axe to someone else to do. That's shitty. Jeez. That's a lot of commitment, too. Yeah. So he was he was transferred to a hospital in Seoul, but he died on the way. So those are the, the two casualties. The incident was recorded by both a black and white camera, which ran out of film, and a 35mm camera with a telephoto lens. A UNC guard at the checkpoint also recorded the incident with a movie camera. After the attack, North Korean media began airing reports stating that Amerian in... Amerian. That's what we are. Amerians. <laughs> United States of America. Woo! That American imperialists... Nope. American imperialist aggressors sent 14 hoodlums with axes into the joint security area with axes to cut down... Uh, to cut down trees of their own accord. Which, that's how propaganda works. Because that's not true. The reports claimed that four persons went to warn them not to continue their work, but but were attacked en masse. And they beat the soldiers with murderous weapons and outnumbered the North Koreans, which we know to not be true. It claimed that the guards only acted in self-defense. Also not true. Kim Jong-il, son of Kim Il-sung, had prepared a document calling for the withdrawal of U.S. forces and the dissolution of United Nations com- uh, Command to the Conference of Non-Aligned Nations. Cuba was all for it, so I feel like if Cuba's all for it, probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the members of the conference passed the resolution. The CIA considered the attack pre-planned, which I can see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they watched them do this for 15 minutes and they were like, yes, now we will tell you to stop. Yeah. Also, we're going to tell you to stop with 30 of us. I mean, <laughs> that's one way to do it. You can just go ahead and just beat them all up. So U.S. forces were increased to DEFCON 3, um, which is increase in force readiness above that required for normal readiness. Early on August 19th, rocket and artillery attacks were considered, but discounted due to the unfavorable ratio of artillery in the area. Mm-hmm. And President Park Chung-hee did not want to take hey. military action. And I believe that's the president of South Korea at the time. In response to the axe murder incident, they decided that as a show of force, instead of just trimming the tree branches to see, uh-huh. they were going to cut down the whole fucking tree. 
with lots of people. Mm. So the operation was conceived as a U.S.-South Korea show, of course. It was carefully managed to avoid escalation, because they wanted this to be the end of that. And they planned it over two days. It was named after the mythical lumberjack, Paul Bunyan. Great guy. Operation Paul Bunyan was carried out August 21st at 7 a.m. A convoy... Okay, so you might want to keep a mental tally, or not, because it's overwhelming. Okay. August 21st, 7 a.m., a convoy of 23 U.S. and South Korean vehicles drove into the JSA without any warning. The vehicles each had two eight-man teams of military engineers equipped with chainsaws. They were accompanied by two 30-man security platoons from the Joint Security Force aimed with pistols and axe handles. A team from B Company, commanded by Captain Walter Seafried, activated the detonation systems for charge on Freedom Bridge and had the... Uh... I forgot how to read... Uh, 165mm main gun of the M728 combat engineer vehicle aimed mid-span to ensure that the bridge would fall if the order was given for it to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. M4T6 rafts were also on the river in case of an emergency evacuation. So already there, there's many people. A 64-man task force of South Korean special forces accompanied them, and they were armed with clubs and trained in Taekwondo, supposedly without firearms. Uh, once they parked their trucks near the bridge of no return, they threw out sandbags, revealing M16 rifles and M79 grenade launchers. Several commandos also had M18 Claymore mines strapped to their chests with the firing mechanisms in their hands. I imagine that's probably super intimidating to see coming at you. <laughs> yeah. Here we come. Yep. I mean, it's really just more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a parade. <laughs> a very deadly parade. Well, it's not done yet. A U.S. infantry company in uh, came in... Sorry, I think that's a U.S. infantry company in 20 utility helicopters and seven... Cobra attack helicopters behind them. Uh, sorry. Seven Cobra attack Let me try that again. <coughs> 20 utility helicopters and seven <coughs> Cobra attack helicopters, and behind them were B-52 Stratofortresses from Guam. Um, they were escorted by F-4 Phantom IIs from uh, Kunsan Air Base and South Korean F-5 and F-86 fighters. At uh, Taeku Air Base, F-111 bombers out of Mountain Home Air Force Base. So that's kind of cool. Because uh, that's like 45 minutes-ish from where we are right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were st uh, that's where they were stationed. Uh, and F-4C and D Phantoms from the 18th uh, TFD... Kadena Air Base and Clark Air Base were also deployed. And we're not done yet. Man, that's a, that's a USS, lot of stuff happening. The USS Midway, which is an aircraft carrier, was moved to a station just offshore near the edges of the demilitarized zone. Many more heavily armed U.S. and South Korean infantry artillery included the, or including the 2nd Battalion, 71st Air Defense Regiment. Uh, they were armed with improved Hawk missiles and armor. They were waiting to back up special ops teams if it was needed. 
Uh, nearby bases were prepared for demolition in the case of a military response. And 12,000 additional troops were ordered to Korea, and 1,800 Marines from Okinawa, and nuclear-capable strategic bombers circled over the joint security area. Holy shit, how many people do they have in this I, thing? Uh, I don't think How I... How thousands? Yeah, I don't think I have a full count, because... 5,000? 6,000? So many fucking people. So many people. That's all for one tree. And so according to an intelligence analyst monitoring the North Korean tactical radio net, the accumulation of force, quote, blew their minds. Which, duh. <laughs> uh, alt- oh, here we are. Altogether, the task force consisted of 813 men. Once the convoy arrived, the engineers exited their vehicles and immediately began cutting down the tree. Uh, First Lieutenant Patrick Ono had conducted recon of the tree dressed as a Korean corporal previous to this. Uh, North Korea quickly responded with 150 to 200 troops armed with machine guns and assault rifles. They arrived mostly by bus, but they didn't get off at first. Instead, they just watched. They got out of the buses when the helicopters and Air Force jets became visible, Uh, They quickly began setting up the two-man machine gun positions, and then they watched in silence as the tree fell, and it only took 42 minutes to cut down the tree. Uh, There is a, or a 20-foot tall stump was deliberately left standing, which I feel like if it's 20 feet tall, it's not a stump. It's pretty big. That's like a, a tree on its own. Yeah. I just wanted to but I mean, really make it clear. They, yeah, they, they were like, look, you see, this is what happened. Uh, so then the UNC demanded that the North Koreans punish those involved and make reparations to the families of those killed and injured. Later on, they received a message from Kim Il-sung expressing regret at the incident, uh, but still taking no responsibility and claiming it was an aggression against them, which, okay, bullshit. Mm-hmm. The JSA's advanced, advanced camp... Uh, which was called Camp Hitty Hawk, was later renamed Camp Boniface. And inside the JSA, there is the Barrett Readiness Facility. So those were to commemorate the two individuals that died during the Korean Axe murder incident. Right. The tree stump was removed in 1987, and a monument was placed there. Uh, they also commemorate... Uh, they also... Oh, the, there are also commemorative ceremonies at the monument on anniversaries. During, I have turned too many pages. During World War II, the south end of the lake. What? <laughs> Yay! Let's uh, back that up. Into the future. The nearby UNC checkpoint was no longer used after the mid 1980s, and the incident prompted the separation of personnel from the two sides within the JSA to avoid further incidents. So they were like, "We're just gonna stop talking to each other." Mm-hmm. An axe and axe handle that were supposed, supposedly used in the attack are on display in the North North Korea Peace Museum, which... The North Korea no. Peace Museum. No. You're wrong. <laughs> you didn't learn what that word meant. Just because you call it a peace museum. We've made peace by yeah. killing the opposition. Huzzah! At General William J. Livesley. Or Livesey? Livesey? That dude. He publicly carried a swagger stick carved from wood from the incident poplar tree. And that's what it's called now, is the incident poplar tree. Uh, One of the South Korean soldiers who participated in Operation Paul Bunyan 
Um, his name was Moon Jae-in. He was actually elected president of South Korea in 2017. Hmm. And April 2018, after the inter-Korean summit, Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in planted a pine tree to commemorate their blossoming bid for peace. And if I remember correctly, that pine tree is planted not super far away from where the original poplar tree was. So that's Operation Paul Bunyan. Well, that's really interesting. (laughs) I never would have thought that a death count would have included a tree. Right? But the tree was kind of an asshole. I mean, that was when I was first looking into this, and I pulled up a, a page and it listed the casualties and one poplar tree, and I was like, hold on. I need to put my glasses on. I'm clearly not reading this correctly. Nope. Yeah. One poplar tree. One poplar tree. And a shit ton of people. And vehicles. And helicopters. I, it's kind of incredible to think of when they came in with that much force that there weren't more casualties. Because, I mean, I'm I'm sure that the North Koreans were aware that they were very outnumbered and overpowered. But, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they still decided to set up their machine guns. Like, what the fuck did they think they were going to do? Yeah. That's... And it's like they waited to set up their machine gun, like, to get off the bus and set up their machine gun positions until after they could see the bombers becoming visible, which there's, like, a... Fucking shit fuck ton of planes up there. Yeah. Not to mention all of the soldiers and the, the stuff that's, like, not even in the uh, joint security area. So it's kind of like, why did you bother getting out of your bus? You should have just driven away. I mean, that's pretty exciting. I bet they were, like, you know, like, oh, boy, here we go. Oh, fuck, guys. Oh, <laughs> this is a bad trip. But... Don't kill people for Magic trimming a tree. death bus. <laughs> Don't bludgeon people to death because they are trimming a tree. Yeah. It's not worth Don't it, Don't let guys. that be a thing because then they will cut down that tree with a fucking nuclear-powered whatever. George Washington tried to cut down a tree <laughs> once. No, he did not. Mm, he did not. It was, yeah, the cherry tree. Yeah, that's apocryphal. That's what? Apocryphal. Huh? You're using a word. I don't I don't know what that word means. It's like it's popular myth. It it's Oh, not... like a proverb? Well, no, it's not even a proverb. No. It's literally just a lie. Yes. Okay. Um And it's been repeated so many times that people are like, oh yes, this moment in history. Oh, which, so it's no. like Mandela effect. Gross. I mean, not necessarily. Well, because Mandela effect is when like something's been so misinterpreted that it becomes, like, everyone becomes surprised when it's not actually true. Yeah, I don't think that's what this is, though. Like, I think, at the base of it, I think people realize that that's not really a thing that happened. Mm. Um, kind of like how Abraham Lincoln was probably not actually a vampire hunter. What? Shit! Which... I wonder I failed my freaking essay. That was a very disappointing movie. Ugh. The book is very good. Go read the book. But that was a very disappointing movie. Mm. At some point, I'll post a link to the the episode that the Vampire Movie Club did about it. Because we all had real high hopes. And boy, were we all disappointed. Yeah. Well. So that's Operation Paul Bunyan. Yeah. 
If you learned anything, make sure to trim your shrubs and your <laughs> trees. Make sure that you can see from your command post to your checkpoint. Yeah. Well, shall we uh, roll for next episode? Let's do it. So I have, and I'm, I know I have talked about these on an episode before. I don't know, I don't remember. If it was, Is it the future or the see, past? See, that's the thing. I don't remember if it was previous to this being recorded. Like, the first time we recorded it, or if it was after. But these are just, I think they're, the brand is probably, or the maker is HD. I got them from uh -huh. Kraken in, a like, a blind surprise mystery bag or whatever. Woo! Um, they're, not blue, they're green and purple. Uh, kind of swirly, but they're super heavy on the purple. It's like a lavendery purple. And they had gold uh, numbers on them, and I wasn't really too into it. Uh, but I re-inked them, and I made the numbers all like a fluorescent rose pink color. And now I kind of dig it. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're pretty nice. Yeah. So that's what I'm rolling. Six! Woo! <coughs> that one is again... Entertainment. Entertainment. Perfect. All right. And then I am rolling my custom dice, because it's the only way I roll. With these bad boys and wild. wild, woo! How do you do that? I, you know what? At first, I I, I rub I rub my dice with with I'm... just my middle finger. Okay, I was like really that, concerned about where that like was going. That. And then I look at it with with a little bit of a smolder. It's like a mix of blue steel. It, it blue steel plus tangled. So it's like a kind of thing going on. And then after that, I just hold it close to my heart. <laughs> I roll it. And it's beautiful. Because we all know I'm wild at heart. Do we? Uh, do we know that? Uh, the dice does. Does it? Does it know that? Yeah. That's why I get it. I mean, well, actually, you made it. So you just made it default to wild. Oh. Let's not have my computer do anything. Oh, oh God. I rolled the dice right on the mouse. Like well, time to re-record. Re Re-re-record the episode. Sorry. But. Well, thanks yeah. for tuning in. Come back next week to find out what the fuck we're talking about. From yeah. the past. From the past. Bye. Bye. If you've got something to say, find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTF pod. Email us at WTF dot podcast dot mail at gmail dot com find us on facebook instagram and twitter at wtf a y t a podcast that's wtf a y t a our acronym podcast our music was by decker hinkley and our artwork was by kirby morfitt